Welcome to All Things Church Planting, a podcast dedicated to empathize with and empower the church planter. We aim to walk alongside you in your unique calling through real stories and relevant topics. We're a production of the 80 plus million initiative of the Central Region of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. You can check us out at 80plusmillion.org. Here are your hosts, Justin Thornton, coming from Glass City, USA, and Todd Sovine, coming from his aggressively creepy basement. What's going on? Episode four of All Things Church Planting. So glad to have you with us. Today, I'm actually sitting down with a guest. We are not social distancing because it's before this, you know, global pandemic thing. And this is also before Todd Sovine made the best decision of his life to be my co-host. Now, I realize there are more important decisions like, I don't know, giving your life to Jesus, having a wife and kids. Okay, yeah, those are all important. But his most important decision was becoming my friend. Today I sit down right across the table from Pete Dallum of Ann Arbor, Michigan, Harvest Mission Church. You have to hear this story. This is crazy how they plant churches. They just kind of follow God on this holy, submissive wind, and they plant wherever God is taking them. So God has taken them to plant in Texas and Jakarta and other places. I mean, this is crazy. You have to hear this conversation. It's going to blow your mind. Welcome to All Things Church Planting, Episode 4. Great guest today. His name is Pete Dowell, yep. and he is a church planter and ascending church, a mother church here in Ann Arbor. And he's going to introduce himself. Yeah, uh, I'm so thankful to be here today, Justin. It's uh, really a privilege to come and be on the podcast with you. Um, as you just said, I'm Pete Dalham. Uh, I'm with Harvest Mission Community Church. Uh, we're a, a church that started here in Ann Arbor in 1996, uh, really with a vision to uh, evangelize and disciple college students. Uh, we just saw the college campus as a mission field that really was in need and wanted to invest here. And I wasn't here back in 1996. Uh, I came around in in about 1999-2000. That's when I got saved through the church and I've just been growing and uh, learning to serve in ministry and now for the past uh, five years or so I've been in the lead pastor role of our church as we sent out our founding pastor and uh, several others to do different church plants. Um, so I'd love to be part of that uh, and during that time God broadened our vision to be not just about evangelism and discipleship uh, and also not all, not only about college students uh, but really about reaching college campuses and reaching global cities, uh, reaching the nations, reaching the next generation. So these are things that are really important to us and that I just love that I get to be part of. Uh, so I've been a pastor now for about 14 years, um, and now I get the privilege to be part of church planting primarily as a sender and as a coach and as a mentor, mm -hmm. and I'm really looking forward to the day that I get to do that more hands-on myself because that's something I would love to do. Um, Along with uh, my role in ministry, uh, I also get to be uh, get to be a husband to my wife Gina, uh, who is a nurse practitioner. She's a professor of nursing, and she does uh, research with opioid uh, overdoses and uh, and addiction and recovery. That's her kind of thing. Awesome. Uh, I have my son Nicholas, who's eight years old. He's in second grade. Um, he actually has a visual disability, which is a really cool thing, uh, interesting thing about him. A great kid, super curious, and uh, just loves life. Uh, so we. Have a, a really awesome family that I love being part of and uh, beyond my physical family also as I mentioned because we've sent 
different church plants, we're now a, a small family of churches uh, globally with a couple others here in the U.S., in Detroit and in Austin, Texas, uh, and also in uh, Hong Kong and a couple in Jakarta. Uh, and so we, we just love being able to be in relationship together in ministry, partnering together for missions, for leadership training, for uh, just even being the kinds of relationships to one another uh, that we all need in ministry. So those are all just uh, kind of some basics about me. If you want to check out our church or find out more about us, you can go to hmcc.net. That's Harvest Mission Community Church uh, for hmcc.net, and you can find out more about us there. Yes, please check them out. What a unique planting story, a unique sending story. We're going to get more into that later. Uh, me and Pete are going to be talking about the three relationships today that a planter must have. Uh, ministry is about relationships. Uh, obviously, we tend to extend that from pastor to people, uh, but as pastors, as planters, we don't go, we really need this. Uh, we don't say to ourselves, we must have these certain relationships or we may not last ministry. And a, th a thing that we say constantly is that we want the people that we send, we want the platform that we build to support 40-year pastors. Yeah. Um, maybe even longer if they get you know you know really up there in years and they want to preach until their casket that's okay uh, but we really want 40-year pastors we don't want a microwave ministry microwave church planting um, and so I want to talk about the three relationships that will help us get to that 40-year mark today uh, the three relationships that we feel like you must have if you have a different relationship um, that you want to put into our show notes that's great uh, there's obviously more than three relationships that you need to have as a church planter yeah. uh, so people can drop that in as you as you're listening to the podcast and you feel like you want to participate in this that's great uh, but this is not just for your longevity of ministry this is also ministry uh, faithful relationships like these are these are these are relationships that are in the scriptures that are that, that we're told we must have that we're told are healthy for our ministry in general and faithful all at the same time uh, so I, I'm, I'm gonna get to that at the same time I'm gonna start with a little bit more about you Pete and we're gonna start this segment called now for some quick hitters of potential embarrassment all right Pete, these are the quick hitters of potential embarrassment I try to answer fast but also try to answer honestly. Did you have a class superlative? Um, well, wait, a class superlative, uh, tell me what that is. Again. Meaning in high school, were you the most likely to be blank? Oh, no, you know, I, I didn't even have one. Yeah, but I think if I was, I'd be the most likely to uh, start a tech company. Perfect, I, yeah. I need to know a little bit more about that. Why would you start a tech, tech company? Uh, I was just a huge nerd, or more, I think uh, I prefer the word geek. Yes. I wasn't studious enough to be a nerd. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I just love technology. I was, you know, building computers before that was a popular thing to do. Uh, <laughs> learned coding on my own, stuff like that. Okay. So, yeah. Have you binge watched something that you're slightly embarrassed about recently? You know, I'm, uh, I binge watched Parks and Rec. And yes. uh, I'm a little bit embarrassed about that just because of the degree to which Chris Pratt makes me laugh. Yes. My wife just thinks it's ridiculous yeah. uh, when we watch it together, like how funny I think he is. Yes. Yeah. His chubby years are, are his best years. I think yes. he, even, he even mentioned that recently. And he does love Jesus. Yes. Uh, so here we go, Chris Pratt. We're on the same page there. Don't be embarrassed about that. Give us a weird fact about you. I grew up playing the bagpipes. Okay. Yeah. That's super weird. Yeah, the, I'm yes. not Scottish or anything. Yeah. Uh, the, the school I went to in Houston, Texas, or where I grew up, uh, just had a, a bagpipe and drum band. That was kind of the thing they did. And so I got really into that and, you know, competed and all that kind of stuff. And I haven't played now in, like, more than 10 years. But uh, Bagpipe was... competition. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, kilts and everything. Yeah, yeah. very fun. Okay. Since you're kind of a younger pastor, how old are you? 39. 39. So you're, are you past skinny jean phase? I'm, I I never had a skinny jean phase. Never had a pair of skinny no, jeans? No, never had a pair of skinny jeans, thank God. Okay, that was the next question. Which, <laughs> which were, I mean, I have one. Uh, they're stretch. Uh, nice. Number five, uh, have you ever wore glasses without a prescription? No. Okay, so you're just glasses, out of this trendy so, thing. You don't yeah, want to do it. No. No, I'm not. I'm not cool enough for that. Amen. Uh, but I also have real glasses okay. that I need to wear, or or contacts, as it were. So, so. those people that wear them without actual prescription, do they offend you? No, it's not offensive. <laughs> I'm like, hey, that's it's cool. You know, okay. that's fine. All right. So you're not a fashion guy. No. Uh, I will ask this next question. What is a fashion trend you're tempted to jump into? So I realize you're not doing it. You're like, I'm so yeah. beyond this thing. But is there something you're tempted to jump into? See, that would that would imply that I know what fashion trends are. <laughs> so, okay. uh, no, I think if anything, I would, um, you know, the uh, the short pants thing. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of nice if you're like at the beach or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got like the kind of the capris for men. I don't the even know if that's quarters. a thing anymore. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if that's still a thing. Is but it a thing? Yeah. I remember seeing that. I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. If you're on a summer day, you're out on, the, out on the beach or something, that'd be, that'd be right, pretty for you, cool. It's convenience and comfort. Yeah. yeah. So the same philosophy about fashion that my father has. Sure. Yeah. 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 My 68 year old. You father. can see, this is me. This is like my fashion. If you can't see this, I'm yeah. wearing like a red plaid shirt. Yeah. I'm like, if I'm not pastoring, I'm uh, like woodworking or renovating a house or yeah. something. Or like, that's that's kind of me. So, yes. yeah. Good. Where did you meet your wife? Uh, met in our church uh, when mm-hmm. she was in grad school at the University of Michigan, and I was leading our grad student ministry at the time. So, we were in the same uh, life group for like five years okay. uh, and got to know each other really well. And boom. That is a Christian marriage story. Very much so. How did you ask her out? Uh, how did I ask her out? Well, we got together for coffee, and actually we there was some things going on. I'll, I'll spare the details, but basically she was actually a bit upset at me at the time. Mm. Uh, but I was like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And so you know, I said, hey, can we get together for coffee? You know, Gave her some times, and she was like, okay. Yeah, she didn't know what to expect. So she actually wore her work clothes mm. to our coffee get-together because she didn't know if she might need an excuse to get out. So she wore her work clothes so she could tell me that she had to go to work if she needed to. Um, But actually, you know, we, uh, you know, shared with her, I was interested. Hey, we don't get together in this relationship. We pray about this, et cetera. Um, And, you know, turned into a pretty long conversation. Turned out she didn't need to go to work at all. So. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. That's good. You got her. It it happened. Uh, What's your most embarrassing preaching story? You know, um, I I was... I think probably the worst one was preaching a whole sermon with my fly down. Wow. And I was, I was, I mean, partly that by itself is kind of embarrassing, but then afterward I was like, why didn't anyone tell me? Like, (laughs) you know, someone like hold up a sign or something, like do do something. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, you're just leaving me up here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a true sign of love. If you love somebody, you tell them, hey, that thing is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Why do you love church planting so much? Ooh. Um, so the big thing for me, I mean, I got saved through my church being planted, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, our founding pastor, Seth Kim, he moved to Ann Arbor in 1996, group of eight people started this church. And, you know, three years later, there I am, uh, you know, getting invited to the church by a friend and, you know, seeing people live out the gospel like I'd never seen before, seeing people who are passionate for Jesus, yeah. uh, seeing seeing people who I felt were like really genuine in their faith like I'd never met before. 
And I think that was what I needed to recognize that this message was real, that there was something real about this. It wasn't just sort of this empty tradition, uh, a lifeless faith, a hypocritical faith. Mm-hmm. It was something that was real. And so, you know, because I got saved that way, uh, I think I realized so much the value, the necessity of planting churches because there are so many people that not only don't they have a don't they have the gospel message itself, but they don't have people among them to witness to them. Yes. They don't have people around them living out their faith in a way that's compelling and attractive, uh, and powerful. And so I I just feel really convicted about that. That like the world needs more churches and lost people need more like visible witness among them. Uh, of people really living out the word of God. So I, I love being part of that. And, and yeah. just, yeah. Really yeah. good. Uh, as church planters, we are missionaries to our cities. Tell us one crazy thing about Ann Arbor. Because, you know, you, especially when you drive around the church planter, I love driving around the church planters where they're, they're breaking down each neighborhood and, <laughs> uh, and where Joe lives and what Joe's story is. So tell, tell us something interesting about Ann Arbor. Oh, Ann Arbor, there are too many interesting things, really. But I think what I love about Ann Arbor is, number one, is really the mixture of different things that come together. Because you have, uh, on the one hand, you have, like, a really huge international community, right? Which, for our church, like, we love the nations. We've got flags all over our building because we're, like, you know, we we love it that the nations gather here. Just at the University of Michigan, there are over 100 nations represented. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Um, I love that in our community, it's a very like progressive and, and politically liberal community. Mm-hmm. And so what's cool about that is like, you know, we have one of our churches down in Austin, Texas, and down there, you, know, you walk down the street, and even if someone might have like um, some, you know, different political views, whatever, it can be the whole spectrum, but you talk to someone, they're like, well, kind of, I'm from Texas, so... I'm a Christian, you know, something like that, right? At least some people are like that. Uh, But in, you know, around our area here, like if someone doesn't know Jesus, they're pretty sure they don't know Jesus, right? right? And it's it's clear. Um, And so when you talk to someone and you actually share the faith with them, they're like, they're either like, wow, I've never heard this before, or they think they know. Maybe they, they have this caricature of the Christian faith that they don't believe in, but they don't really know it. And that's so exciting. Like, I love just being able to share Christ with people who know they don't know him and know that this is something different for them. It makes the conversation very different compared to in more of a traditional Christian area. So I love that as well. And I love the university environment you know this is one of the most educated cities in the country uh per capita so many graduate degrees and you know everyone's very educated and i love that because people are like honestly and thoughtfully engaging with these topics and you know they're not just sort of like throwing it out but they're you know if you say something interesting you say something compelling i remember when i was uh when i was an undergrad student myself and i was um i was a philosophy major and I remember taking classes with this guy. The same guy was in several of my classes. And he was like a staunch atheist like I was before. And I remember sharing with him I was a Christian. And he was like, what? But you're smart. <laughs> and you're taking philosophy classes. Right. How can you be a Christian? You know, and that, that like ended up with so, like in such a deep conversation where I could actually share with him about how the Christian faith is not this unreasonable thing that you know people make it out to be but that there is like a strong philosophical foundation to it too so i love like all these things mixing together it makes it a really cool unique place that i yeah i love being able to be here it's almost like you don't have to detox people from cultural christianity right or the idea that because i went to church at some point this makes me who i am it's it's part of being in texas sure (laughs) it's part of being in this city that i'm 
I guess I'm Christian because of, you know, I have proximity to it. Uh, so you don't have to detox. In, in these international cities, you don't really have to detox people from that. They just are or they aren't. Yeah. And if they aren't, they don't really have this false idea of what it means to follow Jesus. So you can walk them into it in, in the first place. Right. Uh, which is how you came to Christ, really. I mean, were, were you an atheist? Did, did we yeah. talk about this before? Okay. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So even though I, I mean, I grew up in Houston, Texas, like I said, so I had Christians all around me. And actually, when I was growing up, I remember getting made fun of because I didn't, because I wasn't baptized. So people made fun of me for that as a kid, wow, okay. right? Like that's yeah. the kind of environment. Um, so I had a really like negative opinion of Christians growing up, even as a kid, because I, I just, I just never had a good experience. Um, and then I, I moved to Michigan and, you know, lived in a community that up in Northern Michigan that was also like, just, you know, there were Christians there, but it wasn't like a really strong influence. Um, and by the time I got through junior high, high school, I was pretty convinced, like, yeah, there's no God. Like, why would I believe in anything, you know, that I can't see, whatever, had sort of a, you know, secular, uh, uh, secular worldview. Um, and that's pretty much where I was at coming into college. And I, I really believe I, like my freshman year of college, long story short, I think I had like an encounter with God in my dorm room. And it wasn't like a vision. It wasn't like something like that. But I, I felt like there was this moment where suddenly my life seemed completely empty and meaningless. And I knew I needed to search for something more. And I remember I shared this with all my friends who were atheists, and they were actually concerned. They were like, are, did you take something? Like, are you <laughs> mentally unstable? Like, they were worried I was having, like, a mental breakdown or something. And I talked to my one friend who I'd known since junior high who was a Christian, uh, one, one Christian friend who I hadn't driven away. Um, and she said, well, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Like, maybe God is trying to, trying to talk to you. And I was like, no way, like whatever. And then she invited me to her life group, part of our church that I'm part of now. Um, and that's that's how I got saved. Um, you know, like two weeks later, I gave my life to Jesus. And uh, yeah, that's cool. pretty much it. Cool. Pete, so we're going to talk about these three relationships that are super necessary um, to, to being a church planter, really necessary for your health, necessary, necessary for your faithfulness. I'm going to read some stats real quick, stats that maybe some of you have heard. Um, and, and maybe you're tired of, but I'll just read them anyway. 97% of pastors have been betrayed, falsely accused, or hurt by their trusted friends. 70% of pastors battle depression. 7,000 churches close each year. 1,500 pastors quit each month. 10% will retire a pastor. That's not a lot. 80% of pastors feel discouraged. 94% of pastors' families feel pressure of ministry, feel the pressure of ministry. 78% of pastors have no close friends. Yikes, which obviously these, these uh, relationships that we'll talk about will fit into friendship categories as well. And 90% of pastors report working 55 to 75 hours per week. Have you felt any of the pressure of those statistics in, in your oh, ministry journey? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely for myself and for others who I am friends with. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's it's uh, sadly uh, seems to be an unavoidable uh, thing within ministry, those struggles, right? Because you're constantly under this pressure, people's expectations, your expectations of yourself, the loneliness of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. That's all, that's all part of the part of, I think, what comes with uh, this role in ministry. And mm -hmm. actually, I, I think I struggled to really understand that myself because uh, I don't know about you, I'm not a guy who is really in touch with my emotions. Um, and I think that like a little, gosh, a year and a half ago, um, I actually got to a place where I was feeling really like just down and I, I didn't know what it was. I don't know that I even would have called it depression or something at the time, but I just felt really overwhelmed and not healthy. 
Um, and my uh, pastors and elders, they, they talked to me and said, hey, like we think you should take some time off and try to just work through whatever you're going through. Take a little sabbatical. And so I took a little time off and it took, uh, it took a lot of time of kind of detoxing. It took a lot of time of praying and the Lord led, led me to fast through, uh, through that time. And I think that through that process, um, God showed me that I had a lot more fear in my heart than I ever thought that I did. I didn't think I struggled with fear. And it turned out that I did, uh, that I had a huge fear of failure, huge fear of disappointing those who I loved and respected, huge fear of losing the respect of people who I valued. Um, just, yeah, this, this fear that was overwhelming me. And I think I needed to go through that time, like wrestling with God, but also I'm so thankful for the people that God brought right. alongside me during that time yeah. that, you know, with, whether my friends, my peers, uh, or people who were like mentors to me and spiritual fathers to me, people that I could share with and talk with, like I needed that. Um, and I'm really thankful for the process God brought me through because I felt at the other end that there was, there was freedom there for me. There was faith and courage there for me, but I had to walk through that process and sort of be in a desert time for God to bring that to the surface and start to deal with me on those things. Yeah, I think I read a, and it's kind of an ironic list because it was put out there by a pastor who actually ended up burning out, mm. um, but I read a list of top 10 signs that you were burning out, and I remember hitting seven out of 10. Wow. Um, it was affecting me physically. It was affecting my family. I was finding myself full of anxiety, maybe maybe nearing depression. And I've, you know, in 12 to 13 years, I think I've hit this three or four times, you know, just this, you know, this moment where these things are rising up inside of me. I can feel them. Um, and, and I think church planners specifically have this renegade heart where they're like, <laughs> I'm gonna go take on the world. It doesn't matter doesn't matter how many hours I work. It doesn't matter what relationships I have. Yeah. I'm not really in touch with my feelings anyway. I'm going to get this thing done. I'm very task-oriented. Um, you know, you can think of all the, the, the self-awareness cocktail that you can put out there and, how you know, all these tests. That, the, the church yep. planners typically end up somewhere along this realm of this S on their chest and they're going to they're gonna take over a city for Jesus and that's part of what makes them good mm-hmm. it's part of what makes them good at what they do what helps them survive and it's also part of what kills them at the same time mm-hmm. um, and so I've always been sensitive to this and and one of the one of the really big teachings that have helped me or that have guided me on this journey is not, yeah, not just that moment with Jesus where you know I, I need to be alone with him more often I need him to search my soul more often, but also getting those friendships of faithfulness that we'll talk about, uh, those friendships of faithfulness. So let's talk about those three friendships of faithfulness, and um, and some of them will feel more like mentor and someone discipling me, and some of them will feel more like you're discipling somebody else, but they're friendships nonetheless. And the first one I want to talk about is Paul. As, as we look at Paul, we see Paul uh, mentoring Timothy, loving Timothy, sticking up for Timothy, uh, telling his church, uh, Timothy's church, to stick up for him, to stand up for him. We see Paul coming alongside Timothy and saying, hey, bro, we prayed over you. This is what we saw inside you. Don't forget what we saw inside you. Don't yeah. forget the gifts that you have. Live in them without fear. Operate in them without fear. We have your back. This is who Paul is to Timothy. Um, he has somebody that is under him. And I think we need somebody that's over us. Yeah. Uh, we need that spiritual father that you talk to. 
Um, I have a guy right now that, that really I made a huge transition recently uh, out of uh, church planting into a church planting oversight role where, where I'm strategically coaching people and strategically coaching a region. And I would have never jumped into that uh, if in a season of prayer I didn't have this Paul to come alongside of me. His name's Bob. Um, and Bob is a, a snarky man. He'll, he'll <laughs> He's so quick. He'll get you. Uh, he's always quicker than you, but at the same time, he is this kind of spiritual father figure in my life that yeah. will always love me. He'll always tell me how much he loves me before he tells me what I need to do next, <laughs> before he prophetically speaks into my life and says, no, you need to go this different route. And and and, and he, he unlocked these doors that I had closed so often in my life. Like I just, I just closed them like a long time ago. I said, no, this is not who I am. I need to be this type of person. I don't know why I did that. I I said it to myself in in prayer. <laughs> you know, I said it. I said it over my life in relationship. I say that this is who I am and this is not who I am. And in one conversation, because he had this permission in my life, he prophetically unlocked those things. Yeah. So, you know, he calls me kid. Kid, I don't I don't see this in you. I see you being this type of person. Hmm. Um, and what he said to me was the reality that I was always feeling but wasn't willing to step into mm-hmm. um, because I thought for some reason there was shame attached to it or sin attached to it. Um, and that's what those Pauls can do in your life. Not only yeah. can they hold you accountable, but they can they can monitor, you know, help, help monitor what you're thinking spiritually. They can pray for you. They can speak over you because you give them the permission. Um, what, what do you think about the Pauls in our lives? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that is so necessary. And really, it's the kind of relationship that as I uh, get to know different pastors and, and church planters, and as I go to different church planting gatherings, I realize so many people don't have mm-hmm. and is is something that's really worth seeking after. It's like that relationship of, of pure gold that will uh, that can have such a benefit in your life. Um, and for myself, I, I think of a few things when I, I think of this, like one one thing that I found to be really true is it's incredibly dangerous to be in a role of leadership when you're not under leadership. Right. And that's something that I think is like a huge issue, especially because, you know, like you said, church planters, it's like, okay, we're going to go out and like, we're going to do it our way. Right. We're going to, I'm going to, I have this vision. I have these, these things about how I do ministry. I'm going to do it my way. Right. And I think if you can't learn to submit to somebody else's influence and leadership in your life it's very dangerous to be in a role of leadership over others because you're going to end up with like a lot of pride and self-sufficiency and thinking it's all about me right so i mean i'm really thankful that god has given me people like this in my life one who i I think I'm the most thankful for is uh, the founding pastor of our church here, Seth Kim, who he's now in Hong Kong leading a church plant there. Um, and I really value him because he's been that person to me who would really challenge me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say for him that the two biggest influences he had in my life are number one, he challenges me. Number two, he invited me to do the mission together. Right. And you see that in Paul and Timothy. It's like, you know, he he speaks encouragement, but he also speaks a lot of challenge. He's like the person who's willing to come along and say the hard truth uh, to confront um, things that are not right. I mean, you see that in his letters. Right? He's very he's very direct and to the point. Yeah. Uh, but also he's like, hey, Timothy, come along. Like, you know, you seem like you're a young guy who has potential. Come do the ministry with me. Be on the mission 
with me. Yeah. And that's who uh, Seth has been to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's been that person, that Paul in my life who challenges me. And I mean, he's challenged me on so many things from like areas of my life where I just lacked faith. Um, I remember when I was really, when I was really young and new to the faith, I had this big fear of going and doing missions internationally. And I remember at one point our church had a missions opportunity we were going to do. And he found out that I hadn't applied and he was kind of expecting me to. We'd even talked about it before. And he called me up and he said, hey, bro, like, I thought we talked about this. And I was like, oh, no, but I have this reason, this reason, this reason not to. And he just, and he just told me, he's like, bro, like, are you trusting God? Are you trusting God? Are you making this about you? And he said, you know, I want you to pray about this for another day. I'll give you another day. Pray about it. And he, he challenged me with that. And God really used that as a formative thing in my life. Um, you know, we've done missions together going ev- around the world, everywhere from like Chile to Kazakhstan to Indonesia. Like, you know, we've done mission ministry together. And I'm so thankful for having him as that role of Paul in my life. And especially because, you know, uh, our, our church, like I mentioned, we, we started with this heart of disciple-making. Right? Our mission is to transform lost people into Christ's disciples who will then transform the world. I experienced that myself. That's why I do what I do, what I do now. But I see that as like, I don't think you can have a long-term fruitful life in ministry or especially church planting if you don't have healthy discipleship relationships. Right, we set these discipleship yeah. relationships in motion, right? We, we come up with this big process here's a discipleship process that our church is going to go through. Right. Um, we tell everybody if you're not making disciples and you're not really following Jesus, and then we as church planners sometimes are, are going, we don't even really need to be discipled. Right. We're, right. we're disciplers. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that is not only prideful, but it's dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and it's not faithful leadership because faithful leadership says, I'm going to go there first. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be there first. I'm going to, I'm going to embody this before I can authentically tell you that you need to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that, that relationship's so important. It, it sounds like um, he, he was so important to you. Well, let's talk, about, let's talk about Barnabas. And Barnabas always gets this terrible rap. Um, he didn't get a bad rap. He did, his relationship with Paul gets a bad rap because we just think about this spat that they had. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Barnabas goes off with, with Mark, who we think is his cousin, and, and we're like, oh, it was a huge spat, and they, they probably needed some peacemaking ministries in their life. And we don't really think about what they had before that. And, and even, yeah. if that, even if that split was that big of a deal, we, we think, you know, because it was a sharp argument, we, you know, but in ministry we get in arguments all the time, you know. You know uh-huh. Uh-huh. We have no clue if they even recovered from that or not. It, it doesn't really matter. What, what matters is that Barnabas, before this before this split, was the guy that said, "No, we need to we need to bring Paul in." Yeah. Uh, and Barnabas, his name means son, son of encouragement. He was the guy encouraging Paul in, in the first couple missionary journeys. Right. He he is he is the guy that goes with Paul, uh, and where, where everybody's kind of split on Jew and Gentile. Paul and Barnabas are like, "We're we're going after the Gentiles and we're going after them together." Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like they have this brotherhood. Uh, and this congruency in in relationship and in ministry, mm-hmm. and I think that we need a Barnabas, someone that's running alongside of us, uh, s- someone maybe outside of our specific ministry, outside of our specific church plan, someone that we can vent to to yeah. as well because they get it. Like nobody gets a church plan like a church planter, 
Um, so you can go to them and be like, hey, I got these three EGRs. They're, they're killing me. These extra grease required people. They're just, yeah. they're on my last nerve. And oh, I got them too. You know, they're, they're killing me too. So let's just talk about this over some coffee. You know, you need that Barnabas in your life, that yeah. friend. Right? We just read that not many pastors have actual friends that get them, that understand them. Uh, so what do you think about that Barnabas relationship? Yeah, yeah, that's so critical as well. And I realize I have to make this a priority to mm-hmm. to invest in those relationships. Especially, I mean, I would say both for the Barnabas and Paul relationships, when you're in the role of lead pastor or church planter and there's no one immediately over you organizationally that's like there on the ground with you, you have to find that, right? You have yeah. to invest in that. Yeah. And I, I think that that's really critical, especially with those Barnabases, because, yeah, you need like the, the Paul figure, but you also need the, the friend, the brother that you can just go to. And I'm, again, I'm really thankful that I have several of those. I mean, within our own family of churches, I, I have a brother named Andrew John, who he, he's in Indonesia now. He's been there for many years, more than 10 years now. Um, and but we're still really close. He was actually the leader of my first life group in our church, wow. and so we've become great friends. And he encourages me so much. Uh, even when I shared um, back a year and a half ago when I took my sabbatical time, that was actually a time when some of my Barnabas relationships locally here got a lot stronger mm-hmm. because I realized I needed that. I needed people that I could get close to. Um, you know, there a pastor here in the area, Jordan Ogden, who's with uh, Antioch Church. Uh, here in Ann Arbor Ipsy area, we got to know each other really well during that period because he was someone I felt like I could share what I was going through with and just open up to him. Uh, our friend Kirk Schneeman's another guy like that who he's down in, at First Alliance in Toledo. Um, you know, guys who I know I can open up my life to share anything with and know that they are going to be that friend and that encouragement to me. And, and also along with that, one thing I would just share because you know you talked about the, the conflict with Paul and Barnabas. I actually think both of them are right in that situation. <laughs> there you go. I think, and I think Mark needed both of them. Yeah, yeah. I think Mark needed Paul mm-hmm. to be the guy who would challenge him and say, "Hey, like this is serious. We're, this is the kingdom of God. This is the mission of God. Like we don't take this lightly." And he needed Barnabas to come along afterward and say, "Hey, I'm going to kind of help you pick up the pieces and work through the stuff you're going through right now, and yes. I'm going to stick with you." Uh, right? I mean. In our church, we talk about the discipleship relationships needing care, commitment, and challenge. Mm. Like you need someone who's going to care for you, someone who's going to be committed to you through the ups and downs, and someone who's going to challenge you. Yeah, and I think that's like you see, that's not always just one person either. <laughs> you know, that can be, <laughs> yeah. maybe yeah. Barnabas is the caring guy, the committed guy, maybe Paul's the challenging guy, but we want to aspire to that kind of relationship because that's how real discipleship happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder what it would look like if our cities... Our bigger cities, the the church planters and the pastors in those cities saw each other in that light. Yeah. Rather than seeing each other in the light of competition, mm. um, I, I've been in multiple scenarios where, in one scenario, it's it's full on competition. It's full on. I don't mm. know. You you don't see them as as. It's, it's, it's almost like friendly fire from afar. And then yeah. I've been in another city where it's like, Jersey City specifically, where it's like everybody needs each other. All the church planters need each other. Yeah, uh, We became this close-knit, you know, we're never in, in a mode of comparison. Uh, we're never in a mode of competition. We're just in a mode of brotherhood and love. And what it did for the health of that city and the church planting movement in that city was crazy yeah. in, in comparison to, to the other city. So, awesome. so I wonder what it would be like if we saw each other in that light. 
Um, if we got rid of our fear, we got rid of our threat, we got rid of our competition, because none of those things have anything to do with Holy Spirit. They have nothing to do with God and what He cares about. Um, and so I, I, I wonder what it would look like yeah. if we had more Barnabases in our life and we saw those people in our city that way. Let's talk about Timothy, our, our last relationship. Um, Timothy is is someone who comes under Paul. He, he clearly helps plant this church, becomes the lead planter, becomes the lead pastor of this church. Um, Paul is walking alongside of them. And Timothy carries on part of the Christian movement. Um, you know, those people following after the disciples are so critical to making Christianity the greatest movement that's ever lived and breathed. Um, th those people that continue to plant, con continue to carry on the legacy and the picture of who Jesus is and the picture of what Jesus wants. And so Timothy is one of those critical people. And, and if God has planted a church through you or, or, or with you, I see it as very selfish to go, well, it stops here. Mm -hmm. You know, thank you, Jesus, for helping us plant this church. We realize you're the author and finisher of this church and the lead pastor of this church. We're going to yeah. keep this thing for ourselves. We're never <laughs> going to send anybody out. We're never going to raise anybody up. We're never going to, you know, and, and we all know churches that, that do that, that feel that way. Uh, but we also know churches that have a multiple... You know, m multiple plans for multiple Timothys mm -hmm. um, to, to raise someone up behind you, whether you're sending them out to, to be a daughter, to continue the movement of Christianity, or, or whether you're raising them up because you, you may go out yourself one day, or you may get struck with an illness, God forbid, whatever the case is, there, there is that somebody to carry on the mission. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you have a Timothy in your life? What do you think about the, the Timothy relationship? Yeah, I, I think that's where the greatest joy in ministry is. Yeah, that's good. You know, you and, and God's blessed me with several Timothys, and I'm so thankful for them. Uh, really, because I, I think this is kind of the heart of uh, of a parent, the heart of a father or mother, is you want your kids to actually do better than you did, right? That's good. And I think if you don't have that heart, it says something pretty negative about <laughs> what this is really about. You know, is it about me or is it about God and His kingdom? Right. So, um, you know, that's really been kind of the story of our church. Like we, you know, we started with this heart to just make disciples and reach lost people. Right. And it just turned out that, you know, 10 years pass and we realized, wait, why are we just doing this here? Why are we just keeping this for ourselves? Like, aren't there other places where there are pe people that don't have a church, that don't have the gospel? Maybe we should start sending people. Right. And that actually turned into a lot of what we started to do. So I've gotten to be part of that. And I'll tell you, I love it, but it is painful. Mm -hmm. It is hard when you always look at the needs of your own church and you're like, man, but we need this, we need this. You never feel like you have enough. There's always more need in ministry. It's really hard to say, okay, yeah, we have more need, but these people that God has raised up among us, we are called to send them out. Yeah. Right. So, for instance, a guy that you that you've gotten to know in at our church in Detroit that was planted recently, uh, Sam Beck. He's a great example of that. I've known Sam for gosh a long time now. I don't I don't even know how many years he's been part of our ministry. Um, he went to help plant our church in Indonesia when we first did that. And then he was there for a year and he came back. He did that as a college student. And then I've just gotten to see him grow and mentor him and disciple him through this process of him discovering his calling to be a pastor and to be a church planter. And now you know since we're thirty minutes drive apart. Uh, you know, we see each other every week and I'm trying to coach him and mentor him. 
yeah. everything from ministry stuff to uh, you know relationship stuff. He's uh, you know trying trying to work toward getting married and things, and uh, <laughs> you know just how to just how to work through ministry in a city with a diverse congregation and diverse population they're trying to reach out to. Um, you know, I love being able to go through that stuff with him. And really, my greatest joy in ministry is to see guys like him discover their calling and then grow up and live into it. You know, that's that's where it's at for me. I could do that for the rest of my life, and I, w- I would love it. Uh, other stuff about pastoring, I could I could put to the side. But that's what I want to do. That's what I want to, to really invest in is finding those Timothys that will carry on the work, multiply the work, and go further than I've ever gone. That's interesting. My parents always prayed that I would have a double portion mm. of God's Spirit. Yeah, um, that was their prayer from when I, you know, from birth to entering ministry. That's awesome. And that is the Father's heart, right? I, I want to raise. I want to raise you up, and I want you to go much further than me. What what a good ment what a good mentoring um, heart. What a good discipling heart. What a good father heart. Um, and, and what if again this this lacks competition this lacks I'm trying to do something and you're threatening what I'm doing and mm-hmm. like sending out is hard because you you're sending out your drummer or you're sending out this right. great couple you're sending out giving units you know and I know we don't we, we don't want to say we see people as giving units but that that, that couple gives a lot and sure. and they're gonna go with you and that's hard but but I trust you and I've raised you up and I care about you. So you know, th- I believe this is the heart that God blesses. Like if we if we look at uh, God's favor and how He pours out His favor to those who trust Him and those who have faith and those who aren't trying to build their own castle, but they're trying to build the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. He 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 extends His favor in great measure when yeah. this when this is our heart. Yeah. Um, and, and when our heart is to build one thing for ourselves, you know, sometimes we build it. Mm-hmm. But that's usually where it stops. Yep. You know, that's that's usually where the movement stops. Um, it's always been much more inspiring to me to plant multiple churches all over the place yeah. with full autonomy than it is to build some sort of franchise model of right. my leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't that great? <laughs> okay, it's just not going to be that. I'm inspiring. sure it's good. I'm sure it's okay. Yeah, whatever. But it's that's not that inspiring to me. That's not. Right. It doesn't feel like the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, and I so think that, that's. Yeah. I think that's really like changing how you define success. Right. Right. Because right. if the I mean, gosh, like you go to a pastor's conference, right, and like you see people sizing each other up. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, who has the who has the most people, the biggest budget, best building. Right. That's that's what it's all about. And it's kind of like whoever is up on that totem pole. Well, they're the person that everyone wants to talk to or be friends with. Whatever. Yeah. And like it's you know, we have to change what success means. And to so many of us, that's what success has meant. What if success meant not gathering and accumulating, but but giving away? Yeah. Right. The people that make the most impact in life are the people that give and are generous, not the people who are stingy and like hold to themselves. And yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, big churches are all about stinginess, but when there's that heart to be generous and to give away what God has blessed us with, I think God really does bless that. And, yeah. it's, a, and it's a greater blessing to see that work multiplied. I mean, for us, if we had just kept all the you know, the people, the disciples, the leaders, the givers, etc., that God had raised up in our church over the years, man, we would be a lot bigger. We probably have accomplished a lot more locally here, which would be great. But 
man, how much greater is it for us to be able to say that there are people who know Jesus now in an unreached nation like Indonesia, yeah. and that they're now taking the gospel to people who are even more removed from the church than they were? Like, how much greater joy is that than to say, like, hey, look, our attendance went up another 5% last year, you know? Like, what for sure. What are we doing this for? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, and I've seen churches of all sizes enter into this, where I've seen a, a very large church go, we're going to give away, you know, $2 million to church planting every year. Um, we're going to host multiple levels of, of, of church planters, send them out in different ways. So this is clearly not about the size. This is about the heart. This mm-hmm. is about who you are as you follow Jesus and trust him in your leadership. Um, and I love that. I love that about what you guys have done. Um, it's a very unique form of church planting as we as we transition away from these relationships and talk about you guys a little bit. Uh, it's a very unique form of church planting where you guys are kind of, I don't know, if I get this wrong, let me know. Mm-hmm. But you're kind of saying wherever the Spirit is blowing and yeah. wherever He's creating a group of people that want to plant a church, we're going to find a way to come alongside them and raise them up. Is that how you guys roll? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's that's what I'd like to think it's about. Okay. Um, because to be honest, we, we did not come into this with a strategy for church planting. Okay. And we still don't really have one. Like, but the, the way we got started with this was, again, like there were people um, who had been part of our church here in the Ann Arbor area and then went to different places and said, hey, we can't find a church where we are that is living out the same sense of like mission and the values and, and discipleship relationships and all those kinds of things. Like we just can't find a church like that. Like, could we plant a church? And so for instance, like at one point we had a big group of students from Indonesia, uh, international students that came from uh, the Jakarta area and they came to the, to the US to study. And while they were on campus here, like they, we reached out to them. Some of them came to know Christ. Some of them were already from Christian backgrounds, but we discipled them. And then they graduated and they had to go back home and you know, they couldn't stay here. So they went back home and then they're like, man, we, you know, I mean, maybe they even grew up a church in a church there, but that church probably had good things going on about it. But they were saying, some of them didn't have a church and they start looking around and saying, man, we really wish we could have a church like we experienced there, here. And so they contacted us and said, hey, could someone come and help us plant a church? And so we sent a small team over there uh, to do that. And, um, you know, God's really blessed that work. and. Gosh, this coming year, they're getting ready. They've already planted another church out of that church. And now those churches together are working on planting a disciple-making hub among a completely unreached people group now. Mm. They're, uh, they're near Jakarta. Mm. And like I love it that, that, that that's how that happened, that that was what God did and not what our strategy told us. You to and do. your humanity could have never dreamed that up. You know what? Yeah. We're gonna have a large core group from Jakarta come here. Let's raise them up and let's let's have them be a mother to a, a daughter, maybe a granddaughter at some point. Yeah. I mean, you can't formulate that. So so you guys are saying uh, we want to follow what God is doing instead of trying to strategize ourselves from something we learned at Exponential. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we I can't even say that we have like a model. We certainly have things that we love to do. I mean, we love college college campuses and college students because they're figuring out life. They're figuring out direction and vision and what they value. And so we love reaching people at that stage of life. But, you know, even here locally, we have a couple of house churches that we've spawned out because there were people who had a specific heart to reach 
a certain a certain group of people. So uh, one one uh, couple they wanted to reach internationals here locally, mm-hmm. uh, who were like not students but who were in different life stages. And so we said, hey, you know, bless you, go and go and plant that house church, and we'll stay in relationship. Uh, another guy he felt led to reach uh, underprivileged fatherless youth. And so he said, hey, go move into that neighborhood, go and start building that relationships, be a house church, I'm gonna mentor you, I'm gonna disciple you through that process, right? And so we we don't even have like one way that we're doing this, we just wanna be open to the many ways that God works and and follow as he gives people different burdens and convictions and visions and say, hey, we're gonna support that and be part of that. Yeah, that's refreshing and good. I'm sure our, our listeners are gonna find something know brand new about that Uh, it's not something that I that I see often in church planning circles Um, there is typically a trend there's typically a a strategy of no we need to do it this way this is what we're built to do this is what works this is what's best Um, but I love that you guys are saying well Jesus is the pastor anyway Um, God is gonna bless this you know he's he's gonna figure out how to do this anyway and we're gonna follow him but we're gonna put our muscle behind it when he asks us to um, and that's refreshing and good. Uh, it's been such a blessing to have you with us here, Pete. Uh, thanks for joining us and sharing your heart. I'm sure that people learned um, a whole lot about you and what you're doing and, and about these relationships. Uh, why don't you share your website one more time and what people can do if they want to check you out. Yeah, uh, website's hmcc.net, and I'd uh, love to connect with you. You can uh, you know, find my, my emails there on the website, so you feel free to contact me. I'd love to get to know you and hear uh, any of your stories about what God's doing in you as well. There you go. You don't have to go through multiple levels of admins to get to you. Just just email Pete, yeah. and maybe he'll get some coffee with you. Yeah, love to do it. Uh, Pete, it was a blessing to have you uh, once again, and thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me as well. Love being here. Thank you for listening to All Things Church Planting. Do you need a friend to change the world with? So do we. Once again, check us out at 80plusmillion.org. Life is too short to plant churches alone. And if we are going to power church planting movement, We're going to do it together. See you next time on All Things Church Planting Podcast.